0: welcome to insert your wisdom a podcast by the perennial leader project in this episode my guest is professor will johncock the author of beyond the individual stoic philosophy on community and connection Will's theoretical expertise includes 19th and 20th century post-structuralist philosophy, ancient Stoic philosophy, social theory, and sociology. In the conversation, Will and I discuss Stoicism, Rationality, The View from Above, Community and Connection, Happiness and Well-Being, Wisdom in Daily Life, and much more. Before we bring on our guests, I just have two quick announcements. One is we recently started a new public feed of the Wisdom School podcast. There you'll find short clips of some of our favorite episodes, audio courses, and selected readings. So you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you're not already a subscriber to our daily email community, I encourage you to visit Perennial Meditations on Substack to subscribe. By subscribing, you'll receive a short daily email meditation on the art of living, and you'll help keep our podcast completely ad-free. All right, without any further delay, please welcome the wise and gracious Will Johncock. Will, thanks for coming on In Search of Wisdom. Thank you for having me on, Josh. It's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one. I heard your conversation on my my friend's podcast, uh, Brandon, on The Strong Stoic. Really enjoyed it. And today we're going to be talking about your book, Beyond the Individual Stoic Philosophy on Community and Connection. So, really enjoyed the book. But before we get into it, we generally take a few minutes and talk about you know, what got you started. How did you come to have an interest in things like philosophy and social theory and stuff like that, Will? Well, the philosophy question is a long one. It was
1: when I was a teenager, I was interested in punk rock. And punk rock was geared towards questioning what we took for granted. And there are a lot of political themes in punk rock, which I wasn't necessarily that motivated by. But through those influences, I found myself uh, being able to explore what we take for granted through philosophy. And it was really in those years that my love of philosophy grew. And I, at the time, I thought, okay, if I'm going to to explore Western philosophy in particular, then I need to go back to our earliest uh, recorded thoughts. And that led me to the classics. It led me to Plato and Aristotle and the like. And the Stoics were... Always, well, then the commentaries around the around Plato and Aristotle they were already already being uh, referred, I guess, to me, but only in passing. And it was only later, once I formally studied philosophy, really, uh, at university, that I became more acquainted with the Stoics. And even then, as I was so interested in the, in the Stoics, I wasn't necessarily working with. The Stoics. I was working with 20th century philosophy and, as you've indicated, sociology and social theory. So once my graduate studies completed, I became more and more interested in theories which had a, a, an all-encompassing worldview, a singular sense of everything. And I'm pretty sure that's what led me to Stoicism. Now, we're talking about a period, let's say 2010-ish, around there. So the modern Stoic revival of the discipline was, was starting to be sparked. And I can't say that I wasn't uh, affected by that as well. I don't really know, to be honest. The, the, just the fact that Stoicism was getting a bit more of a buzz would probably have contributed to me be being more aware of it again and more interested in exploring it. And once I did, I found particularly in the physics that it just... It suited uh, my interests at the time so well regarding the aforementioned singularity of things, the monistic worldview, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that was uh, the point at which uh, my resurged, let's say, interest in Stoicism uh, began. And, yeah, it's still going to in 2023.
0: You know, this you, you mentioned punk rock mm-hmm. and interest, and, you know, it leads you here. If you can recall back getting interested in philosophy and exploring some of these things did you have any sort of idea of what you might have on the end of that in the way of you know this is search for wisdom so maybe you know this general opening question is a bit about the search yep any idea what you would hope to you know have at the end of that
1: yeah, it's like, it's really a great question, you know, how do people become interested in, with punk rock, say, with subversive ideas? What is it they're looking for? And I think at the time I was aware that a lot of discussion around day-to-day existence was, uh, was glossing over the reasons that we do things. I felt in, for some reason that there were, uh, motivations that we weren't articulating. There were influences and forces on us which we uh, ignored. And being an ideological teenager as well helps in mm-hmm. terms of thinking there's po- possibly a grand conspiracy behind it all or something. I don't know. <laughs> but the search there was definitely for uh, the, the motivating factor behind what we were doing and what we were saying and how we were interacting day to day. And I did love that phrase uh, when uh, when I first encountered it, that idea of questioning what we take for granted and that idea that if we don't question what we take for granted, then we're living this uh, automated kind of life in which we're possibly not ever-present and we're not really aware of who we are in, uh, personally, individually, however you want to phrase it. And all of that seemed quite... Uh, quite unfulfilling to live a life that way. And then, of course, once – so punk rock was being very aggressive about this and, again, as I said, very politically motivated in terms of the way that we might be socially structured. When When I was led to philosophy, though, it was more about what are we aware of regarding our minds. When we think, when we act, to what extent are we driving those thoughts and actions? To what extent are we perpetuating something which has preceded us? Really, really powerful stuff for a teenager, but really, really powerful stuff for an adult as well. And so whilst I wouldn't have phrased it as a search for wisdom, I would definitely have phrased it as a search for truth and yeah. and, and and that idea that I wanted to be or we want to be true to ourselves and how do we do that? Well, we're aware of why we're doing what we're doing and what we're saying.
0: Was there any influential figures, a teacher, a book, anything like that during that time that maybe helped to, I guess, give a bit of fuel to that curiosity. And I'm sure all sorts of questions that were, you know, you were wrestling with at that time. It wasn't
1: personally in my life. I grew up in a a very small town in Australia and uh, my exposure to thought leaders, so to speak, was quite limited. Uh, This is pre-internet days. So I wasn't able to access things like YouTube, uh, musically. I had a wider array, array of interests and uh, within certain genres. And so, whilst I did get snapshots from interviews in press, uh, it wasn't like now where you can be inundated with uh, information about people. Really, it wasn't. Whilst I was very inspired by the early works of Plato and Aristotle. It wasn't until I was exposed to much later philosophies uh, that I became really inspired with this idea of of questioning what we take for granted, and uh, and those that group of philosophers were uh, late twentieth century thinkers who have very little to do with stoicism. Uh, one or two of them have written about stoicism in terms of the art of the self. Uh, and how we live day to day but yeah I know the kind of question you're asking in in terms of how do we stumble upon or find a mentor or a leader in these kinds of moments and the whole experience was so dispersed that it became much less personality-based and much more ideology-based in a way Uh, and I think that's consistent with how I approach philosophy as well less about personality and more about a dispersed idea or a dispersed uh, movement and try to ref- try to recognize how whenever we do anything individually or whenever anyone does anything individually they might not necessarily be authoring it entirely themselves self-determination is a is a blurry experience here I remember when I was growing up, just to go back to the music thing, I was very inspired by a label called Kill Rockstars from uh, the Pacific Northwest in the United States. And that might give you an idea around, whilst I didn't literally want to kill, kill Rockstars, that might give you an idea around how I approached these things, which was less about the rockstar uh, personality and and more about the 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 broader message that everyone was helping to perpetuate and participating
0: in communally, collectively,
1: all those kinds of
0: things. Beautiful. Uh, I'm grateful for you sharing some some background about uh, you know your path and and what got this got this started. We generally start with a couple questions around defining terms that might come up in the conversation. And I thought it could be helpful, even though we've done a number of episodes on on Stoic philosophy, to maybe just touch on how you see the project of Stoicism in general. Maybe like a thirty thousand foot view. Maybe there's a listener that is new to Stoicism that is that is tuning in. You know, how do you think about you know that question? What is Stoicism, and what's this project all about? It's
1: rather apt that you would frame it as the 30,000-foot view because my favorite aspect of Stoicism is what has been termed in the recent decades as the cosmic view or the view from above, particularly from the Roman Stoics. And to me that is what encapsulates the project, is the capacity to see oneself as an expression of something much bigger as a part of a grander system. I think if stoicism as a project has any virtue at all in, in a day-to-day sense, as much as a theoretical sense, it is to invest us with this, this impulse that sees ourselves as a fragment of a whole and to take that 30,000 foot view in everything we do, um, We can go, obviously, into greater depth about why I think that's important, but I think that does have ramifications for the way that the self-help industry has adopted Stoicism. I think it could use this much more effectively than it does the hyper-individualized interpretation of Stoicism. Uh, I also think it works very well in terms of ethics, in terms of how we look at others and how we view others' behaviors and actions and how sympathetic we are towards them and and, and how that engenders a communal feel. So I think there's real practical resu- uh, results from looking
0: uh, at ourselves with this, as you said, this 30,000-foot view. It is. It, it, it seems like it's not just the, the Stoics that feel that way. And as, you, as you're talking about it, it reminds me of that, uh, the popular video from Carl Sagan in talking about this You know, the, from the pale blue dot Right. of it being a bit of a character development thing as well there's a line in there you know about that and I think Neil deGrasse Tyson touches on that as well in his more recent book but it's uh it's maybe a counterintuitive thing um for most so I, I appreciate you bringing that up and I think it's something we can explore further in in the conversation but another question that in the way of an introduction, maybe it's a big question, but you know, what is rationality according to the Stoics? So
1: I have a very definite answer on this, and Perfect. I think it's quite an orthodox answer too. If we're going to read Stoicism as it is classically intended, and rationality is the capacity of seeing oneself as part of an integrated whole, and the reason that the stoics are emphatic about this is that the world that whole that i just mentioned is described by the stoics as rational and that seems really counterintuitive when we encounter that for the first time or the umpteenth time many many years following how can the whole how can the world be rational we think about rationality in terms of individuals we think that person is rational that action is rational. Part of the way that we use the term rationality in those individualized terms is to exhibit some kind of consistency and regularity in order or O-R-D, uh, order in a, in a person or a or an action or a thing. It's to indicate that it's not breaking with uh, what we might expect or what is expected of them or what fits and integrates around them. And that's much the if we if we to were to provide a synonym for uh, rationality for the Stoics, it would be order. And it's the way that they see the universe as being an ordered whole, an ordered entity. That's why they describe it as rational. We, in fact, derive our rationality, the aforementioned terms that I or versions that I mentioned, when we act, when we think, in certain ways. We derive those rational capacities from the world. And that's really important in terms of the Stoic physics because the physics is the heart of uh, the matter when it comes to Stoicism. By the matter, I mean the materiality. The, the sheer embodied aspect of our being is rational for the Stoics. We don't even have to uh, reduce it to our minds, but rather there's something about our our situ- the way we are situated in, in the world in relation to everything and everyone else that exemplifies our rational participation in a rational world and so the stoics will say that everything is rationalized they'll say that the the plants are rationalized and the trees are rationalized and towns are rationalized now there are different degrees of rationality here they say that we have rationality in the sense that we can think in a way that other things cannot so we we possess this or embody this kind of rationality that other things do not but collectively the world as a whole is rationalized in the sense that it is ordered, that it is collectively systematized. Um, everything is integrated. And, and so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a very neat understanding of rationality. It's a little bit odd, um, but it, it, it's one of those situations where we have to almost set aside our conventional understanding or our definition of rationality and think about from where does our rationality come and and for the stoics our rationality comes from a a larger rationalized entity
0: could you speak to something that came up in the in the conversation with with brandon you were talking about how this this book being next to the other books on on stoicism and and i loved how you Kind of talked about the idea of not necessarily replacing, you know, any books, but as this addition. And maybe you've been talking about, um, you know, this addition. But could you say more there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
1: the since uh, the resurgence of interest in stoicism, which I mentioned in my brief uh, introduction earlier, the the philosophy has been used for a lot of self-help applications, largely around the uh, problematically termed dichotomy of control uh, and the idea that people, if they can become aware of what they're in control of versus what they're not, then they can live a life that has less moments of anxiety and and so on. And so there are real, for in terms of psychological uh, and mental health issues, there are real benefits from looking at stoicism through this dichotomy of control parameter. And that really does dominate a lot of the, a lot of the literature, a lot of the modern commentaries on stoicism. And I have no intention of, of criticizing any of them individually because individually they're all doing what they say on the, on the cover, how to be a stoic, how to techniques to improve your mental health through stoicism. Um, it's I, I I I don't want to discount the the actual benefits that people derive from these kinds of, of perspectives. Now there is a, a whole discussion to be had around whether this is actually authentically Stoic philosophy. Uh, but for in terms of the practical applications of Stoicism, and Stoicism is emphatically Sto, uh, practic- practice-minded then these versions of stoicism are useful and, and I, I don't want to negate or discount those. What I'm saying, though, in that my book sits aside them is that applications or interpretations of stoicism which are looking at the dichotomy of control as the pivotal point or the entry point into the philosophy, um, they're looking at what is effectively just a result or a symptom of the more foundational aspects of stoicism. And I don't think there are many books out there that focus on those foundational points exclusively. My interest in the dichotomy of control is minimal in terms of the book, simply because it's a ramification of something else and the something else is what I happen to think is arguably more useful in terms of the applications towards psychological issues and mental health issues um, than simply focusing on the dichotomy of control. So that is the the reason for the terminology that I use is to say that my book can sit aside those and you can have some books which are really focused on individual self-help and really focused on distinguishing what is in your control and what isn't. and uh, And then there are some other scholarly works which are brilliant and which are perhaps not quite as accessible either uh, in terms of how much they cost or in terms of the language used. And then I hope that my book is a complement to all of these kinds of works in that uh, the themes are dense, the language is not, the the focus is on the grander system and identifying ourselves as as a part of a whole rather than just focusing on how can we make ourselves as a part feel better.
0: I couldn't agree more in, in the way of the this being an important book and an important addition to, you know, to what's out there and something that is uh, affordable and accessible to people. I, I highly recommend it to the to listeners. I mm, really you. enjoyed going through it. I, I've always wondered in the way of I guess a question I typically ask around whatever it may be, you know, what are the obstacles? And it seems like, you know, this aspect, the part of a whole is maybe a difficult transition for someone that is not seeing things in that way. Is, I don't know, anything come up there of, um, I mean, obviously there's probably a reason why there isn't as many, you know, books like this, it seems like it's a bit of a, you know, it's a difficult topic.
1: Oh, it is. It, uh, firstly, I think if you're trying to sell a book on Stoicism, the last thing you want to do is focus on this. Uh, it's not going to <laughs> jump off the shelves to people. People want something that says, uh, uh, this is going to help me right now. Uh, I don't need to wade through the weeds of the philosophy in terms of, in terms in order to eventually find myself. Um, so you're right. It, it, it's not something that we're intuitively probably drawn to. I think if in general, if we were to think of ourselves in this way, which is the stoic way of thinking about ourselves, then a whole load of other aspects of our schooling would be different, a whole load of our other aspects of our approach to vocational life would be different, career would be different. Um, defending ourselves compared to uh, our service to community, all of these kinds of ways that we look at ourselves in relation to others would be different. Um, Yes, so I don't disagree at all that presenting the philosophy in these ways is a battle. Um, It's a battle because it it asks people to be humble, firstly. It asks people to... (laughs) to relinquish a sense of the self that is self-determining and self-authoring and instead to say, what is it about me that I've inherited? What is it about me that I've adopted? And am I willing to say that things that I do aren't necessarily entirely a result of everything that's housed in me? Now, what I mean by that is our mind for the Stoics is a fragment of a world our bodies for the Stoics is a fragment of a world, and once we start understanding ourselves as these fragments, then we start to get the communal sense from the Stoics, apart from the explicit language that they use re- regarding our communal status. But you're right to to ask readers to view themselves this way is a challenge, uh, and and it's not. And and I therefore thank anyone who's interested in Stoic philosophy who is interested in this kind of perspective. Because what you're doing is you're returning to first principles for the philosophy, and it's a challenge. It asks you to look at yourself in a blurred and ambiguous kind of way, uh, and where you're not entirely separate from the world. And whilst this is more consistent with the orthodox classical position in Stoicism, it's not the easy one. What you're going to be asked to do is to not see the external world as a threat, which is what certain adaptations of the philosophy have done. And so you have to defend your mental turf against a world of external threats. Instead, you're going to have to say, what is it about the world that has produced my mind and what is it about my mind that can then respond to the parts of that which I believe are consistent with the overall rational nature of being and what isn't. And, yeah, I think to go back to that term, it requires a certain humility, requires... Recognizing ourselves as something other than just this defined, separated entity, and I don't disagree at all. Once again, with your characterization of this as being this part whole uh, version of ourselves as being, it seems abstract, right? Um, it, it's it, it, once we're dislocating ourselves in a way from the very thing that we call ourselves, then there is a certain abstraction there that people won't warm to initially. Um, but ultimately, I think, I think it, it, that kind of view does help in terms of the applications of stoicism, particularly to mental health issues, because it doesn't separate you from the very world that seems to be so threatening and terrifying. If someone goes to, a, uh, to a, uh, seek psychological help and they are feeling anxiety or they are feeling alienation or they are feeling threatened, I can't help but think that... Being introduced to stoicism a way where stoicism is telling you, it, it where where stoicism is being portrayed as a philosophy about defending yourself your mental turf against these external threats, I can't help but think that would make all of those mental health issues worse. And I also can't help but think that if we are trained to speak about stoicism as a philosophy where the, what you consider to be you is also out in the world and 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 is shared with other people. I can't help but think that that ultimately would be less anxiety inducing than uh, than the previous version
0: yeah absolutely in uh and i think the listeners of you know many people that have been uh tu- tuning in to our episodes a number of um episodes that we've done on on connection and in love and all of those things and and thinking maybe about wisdom and love as two sides of the of the same coin and stuff if you will but i i am curious about like where to start from a like a practical standpoint or or maybe from a um like marcus aurelius a particular uh you know, part in meditations where he talks about, and, and I'll paraphrase here. So please, uh, correct any sort of butchering that I that I do here. But you know, he talks about being part of the whole, like a like a tree. And when we separate ourselves from even one, essentially, we have separated ourselves from the whole. Mm. So, like this big inclusive thing, and uh, I, you know, I don't know how comfortable and. You know, you are with the term of love, but, you know, sometimes in in wisdom traditions and uh, various things, it's like when it comes to love, it's loving everyone, not this like pick and choosy type of right. thing. And same thing from a, uh, when we think of ourselves as part of the whole, we might want to do this like pick and choose, like, yeah, I'm connected, I'm part <laughs> of this, I don't know about this, you know, it's like, a, it's, it's like this... um Maybe from a from a thing. My point is, you know, sometimes this you got to see it the whole thing. It's it's all you know connected to the entire whole. And if it's love, it's yeah. Maybe, maybe not. That's kind of a tough tough stretch for some. But I, I do think there is some sort of um, thing in the way of love. If we think about it, wishing goodwill that right. you know we're wishing goodwill to everyone.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> here I think about. One of the even more problematic uh, problematic in terms of selling it to people, in terms of convincing people that this is the ethos of Stoicism, is the deterministic aspects of Stoicism, where they'll say one of the great loves that we should have is the love of fate, and we, sh- we should love the way that the world has be ar- been arranged and, uh, and that we are, are arranged as part of it. This is a very, very difficult feature of any philosophy, let alone Stoicism, uh, to be... To, to communicate to people uh, in a way where they won't rebuff it, because who wants to be told? In given the way that we are schooled and the way we are brought up, that the world is deterministic—that is, that's—or that everything about our lives has already been fated—something about which Marcus Aurelius is adamant. And and so, I, all I would say about the loving fate and and what does love mean in general is that for the Stokes would be that that you do have to have that commitment to the idea that you're not the centerpiece. And I think about this when I'm in traffic and I'm a fairly mild mannered person, but when I drive the, and I've only recently got a car after 12 years of not having one and it's infuriating. There's something about, I don't know what it is, but driving is infuriating. It's when I feel the less, the the least wise that I could be. And It's actually rare that I would consciously enact Stoic principles or techniques in my life. But when I drive, I think if there is this integrated system, if the world is what the Stoic state is, then when I'm in traffic, the traffic, me getting from A to B within a certain amount of time isn't, I'm not the focus or the priority here traffic is, is like a dance in a way anyway the the way that things move around and it is a coordinated system of course but it's not necessarily predetermined uh, and uh, but i do think about this in 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 traffic situations is this 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 moving piece of what seems like anarchic and chaotic is actually quite ordered and quite structured and i'm not the focus that this isn't about me i'll get where i need to go in the time that the system permits and that's not in my control and it's not in my control because i'm a virtuous person and can just say that and feel better about myself it's because i'm participating in a system of which i am just a part and so i feel like moments like that are really practical uh examples of how looking at ourselves as an integrated component can can engender a certain love might be a strong word, but uh, 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 I feel less entitled than my fellow Mm. humans who are also on the road. I feel less entitled about me getting where I need to go before they getting to where they need to go because all of us are doing the same thing in a
0: way. Yeah. And sometimes I think about, uh, say the dichotomy of of control. You know this thing for any any listeners that are new. This you know what's up to us, what's not up to us. Um, it seems like without this particular mindset, or sometimes I think of core view and belief that I'm I'm part of the the whole, and I don't know how you really put that into practice because oftentimes in my experience, like the dichotomy of control, I have a desire (laughs) to control the things, you know, like traffic, for example, we all generally have desires to control these things that are outside of our control. So when it comes to training our desires and aversions without some of these particular mindsets and views and beliefs, I'm not sure how you would Work to let go of some of those desires. You know how do you how do you work with that? Um, so I, I just see it as such a critical piece, a critical addition, you know, to actually trying to put it into into practice uh, effectively.
1: Oh, it is, and I think it's seen as weakness in the modern era to relinquish your desire, your sense of getting the best that you can for yourself. I think it is seen as vulnerable, and vulnerability is a real strength in many ways, but I think it's characterized as a weakness. It's characterized as letting someone get the better of you. Um, There's nothing about this this worldview that would conventionally be celebrated, and I think some of the certain adaptations of Stoicism might... View the idea that you are in control of certain things and not in others as a way of really emphatically taking control of the things over which you are, and that's fine. That uh, the, uh, it, there's not necessarily a problem with that, but um, but the alternative, which is recognizing the limits to your control, which is which is what stoicism is effective about in that part of the of stoicism. Uh, recognizing what is in your control is actually quite a humble act because you're recognizing the limits to your control. And then it becomes a matter of training. Uh, And the Stoics are uh, 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 are repetitive about this, about the role of uh, developing a habit. They realize that we're born with this rationalized nature, this capacity to be part of something integrated, but we're also very prone to forgetting it. We're also because of the the way they do separate um, how we can think freely in a way from the rest of the world, and so they do say that we need to train ourselves. We need to form habits regarding regarding this uh, this view, and and they say therefore that the way that we can be better leaders to other people is not necessarily to preach to them, like the rhetoricians or the surface, but rather to simply live that life. And their example of leading that kind of life is is one of exemplification and one of le- living it yourself. And and so, yeah, it's very difficult. I I, I don't do it all the time. I, I, I drop in and out of that kind of state of, of mind, like everyone will. And and that's part of the process and that's part of the point for the Stoics as well is that we'll always have this first impulse, well, not always, but we'll regularly have this first impulse, which is self-oriented, which is uh, what are my desires, what are my needs? And it's not then about saying, about being altruistic entirely and saying I have no needs, it's all about everyone else or all about everything else, but rather it's about recognizing what we have in common with everyone and and also recognizing that we are part of a collective system where everyone has things that they're attending to. And uh, and and so that's the humility that goes with it. It's not self-sacrificing. I, I should make that point that stoicism is not about self-sacrifice. It's not about negating individuality entirely. It's about contextualizing the self and individuality within what's going on around you.
0: Do you ever think about it in the way of um, like both and thinking like I've had previous guests on that are you know in the space of like polarities and paradoxes and you know they work with organizations and things like that and I, I also um think of in in Buddhism and certain schools of Buddhism this idea of two truths. So like you were saying, it's this is in addition to some of this thing you're not necessarily wiping away the individual or suggesting anything like that it's i don't know it seems like it's it's helpful for for me in the way of a true truce it's this and it's that some sort of both and right
1: well if we look at cicero's discussion of some of the early fragments from chrysippus we get a a characterization of our being our individual being as as one that participates with the world around us and and they use this phrase everything is co-fated. So co-fated might refer to this two truths that you're also discussing. And co-fated means that the world around us in in the orthodox Stoic view is determined. And everything that would have will have will happen has already been determined by preceding causes. They're materialists, they believe in a causal uh, chain of cause effect, cause effect, cause effect. So everything's fated. But we still have the capacity to participate in this, in every causal nexus, so, so to speak, um, whereby our individual mind can live quite irrationally if, if, we, if it chooses. It can it can decide not to recognize itself as part of the the whole, as not part of our fellow beings' lives, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's only when we live in a way that does recognize all of the things we've already been talking about today that we live in a way that is what the Stoics call, or what Chrysippus calls, co-fated. And there are two truths, therefore, I'm not sure if this is mapping exactly onto the, the Buddhist interpretation, but the two truths here would be that the world is determined, but we have the capacity to be agents at the same time, to be individual uh, actors and to make decisions, to make choices, to have thoughts that aren't necessarily entirely suffocatingly produced by... uh uh, the world we we have this uh, we have this capacity to think um and then you will see a lot of the terminology in this regard around freedom now i think that part of the of stoicism has been exaggerated because co-fated has a twist in the sense that everything we think is with is with a mind and that mind is an expression of uh a world which is in some way fated us to have this mind it's the world has fated us to have a mind that is rational so already our sense of freedom has an asterisk it's not the way that we would typically think of freedom but it does nevertheless indicate that we participate to some regard in the world in a way which is not suffocatingly uh, already mapped out and so it's it's such a it's such a a subtle difference in terms of how we look at the 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 individual but what it does mean is that we don't lose sight of the individual and there is enough in stoicism to say to say that you need to take responsibility for yourself um there are moral uh parameters in play regarding how we live regarding how we think which which suggests that we're not just these uh versions of the world that have been uniformly farmed out and there's nothing about us that will ever distinguish ourselves from each other. Uh, we have the capacity to, to think individually. However, our capacity to think individually has been fated by uh, a world which is the source of our individuality. Uh, so I, the reason that I am... The, the This aspect of Stoicism is so complex and, and it's complex in, in a way that quantum mechanics is complex in the sense that if you understand it, you probably don't. Uh, it, it's so counterintuitive to the way we grow up and the way we think about individuality and freedom. And But nevertheless, it does salvage uh, or, or maintain a sense of individuality. And so people shouldn't think about stoic determinism as ultimately mean, meaning that they have no personal uh, self whatsoever it just so happens that there are aspects of your personal self which are impersonal attributes of the universe that has produced you
0: to me it does seem like there are levels to it maybe this is strange but sometimes i think of uh even if it was in martial arts like brazilian jiu-jitsu you know There's one black belt here, like another black belt here. There's different levels to it. And it does seem like in the way of some of this from a humility standpoint that you mentioned earlier and trying to maybe better understand some of this nuance and complexity and, you know, to get into the uncertainty a little bit that we can take a couple steps like move a couple steps in that direction. Like, is that a bit strange to say that um, like this, maybe the sage as is is described, like sees the whole and the part, you know, at the same time and has this like clarity of seeing. Right. Yeah. Maybe we're not going to have that all the time, but it, it does seem like we can move a couple steps closer to seeing a bit more clearly and coming to, to the realization maybe that we are part of a whole and feel more at home in the world, like a sense of peace from this interconnectedness.
1: I do see it, see it that way. I think it steps what the Stoics would call degrees of rationality. And there are mm. different creatures who have different degrees of rationality. So that's one point to make regarding the steps, but also in terms of just humanly humans exclusively. Uh, or, or each of us individually absolutely it's it, it, it's a matter of you doing it more or less depending on how much you've read of the philosophy how, how familiar you are or how, just how capable you are of enacting it uh like i i like i said you know i i don't do it i don't live this way or live with this perspective every moment i get frustrated i get i individualize i i, I separate uh and and I have written a book about this and, and have been in this mindset for <laughs> yeah. for a long yeah. time and through a number of other philosophies as well. And 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 I still get frustrated and and I suppose at the same time I, I recognize that looking at the world or looking at yourself and your relationship with the world as one of part to whole, it is Whilst it might seem to negate the freedom that a really individualizing philosophy might provide, I think it's very freeing in the sense that when you see people doing other things that might adversely affect you, if you really adopt this mindset, then it can free you from the anger and the frustration that you feel towards them. If you recognize that everything is to some way systematized, is in some way systematized. And none of us are entirely doing anything according to our own control or our own uh, decision-making processes. We're always to some extent expressing the way in which a system coordinates its parts. Um, Mm -hmm. And so in that regard, yeah, I think it is a matter of steps. It's, It's not something that I think even might improve over time. I think that I'm not necessarily any better than... It than I am than I was 10 years ago I think it's just something that I reflect on more I, I, I think uh, there are still moments when like I said you do hyper individualize yourself and and <laughs> so, so then we can go back to the stoics and and their discussions on training the self and and on developing habits and different people will adapt that in different ways and uh, ultimately, it should it should improve one's relationship with the world. Uh, that doesn't mean that the pressure is on that it has to, but the wisdom that I would take from that would be that, yeah, if you if you can see yourself in this way, then life should be feel a little less aggravating. Um, if it if you are aggravated <laughs> by your fellow humans, and of course you know the Stoics famously say that. We should walk out our doors and expect to be aggravated. We should expect that um other people are going to d- be doing things that will impede upon what we want to do and or that will just meet with complete irrationality. None of these things should surprise us, and maybe one of the first steps would be to walk out the door every day and think or expect that that's what we're going to encounter um That would help,
0: <laughs> yeah. I've got a couple follow-up questions on, on that, Will. And I don't know, could we say that the the fact that as we engage, you know, with the world that we individualize, we, you know, we, we we get frustrated and people, all of that, isn't that a sign and maybe validation for this book that we are part of the whole? I mean, it's like, there's no way around that like you're engaging in the world and yes you're going to face this in in a way it's but i i think like how do you respond to it so it's like I i don't know i have a question in reference to the 10 years ago maybe no different do you mean in the way of impressions that might come up you know you run into uh you know the storm of of life and other people and all sorts of stuff like maybe we all get impressions but don't we get better at maybe working with those impressions you think is that possible or no, I think not we so do. much
1: i think we do and 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 i might have been exaggerating a little in in the sense <laughs> that i haven't improved at all i think that we do we do if we really adopt any of these mindsets we do develop ourselves and our habits if we're committed to them anyway in in ways that will improve our lives and you know the the stoics talk about the world as being this body the entire world as being one body and it's all of us being its limbs so in a so to speak and they talk about it being in one regard a perfect body but in in another regard obviously they say that you'll encounter imperfections you'll encounter these moments where you feel separated and and so I do, and, and so those moments of separation, I think, are the ones that are anxiety-inducing, and and those moments are the ones that I think can be count, uh, counted if if, if 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 there is a thing called wisdom, and and I think there probably is, and and if there is a way in which we can embody it rather than just simply wrap it up in books and uh, essays and and internet articles, if there is a way that we can embody it and live it, then then it is through this perspective.
0: It's a fascinating thing. These, uh, uh, I would say so many things that are not necessarily a paradox, but there's a big and in it. The um, As you were talking there, like the meditation teacher, Jack Cornfield talks about this thing of, yes, this maybe oneness and you're interconnected with things. And then Yet still, once a year, you got to go renew your driver's license, and you know do these things. So it's like in in one way you you are still an individual and yep. have this unique social security number and stuff like that, but also connected with the whole. And th- these things that are that have a big and in the in the middle are sometimes difficult to know when to do this and when to do that, and you know when we're. Kind of showing up with what particular mindset you know
1: yeah yeah well the, the social security number is a, a great example of where you have it individually it defines you in some tiny way but it only makes sense within a system if you were the only one to have it yeah <laughs> uh, and if that was the only one in existence then it would be meaningless and and so this yeah. thing which is highly i mean we don't in Australia, we don't have these. But in, in the United States, it, it, you don't necessarily get emotionally, personally attached to your social security number, I would imagine. Maybe you do. Um, but it's something that only gets meaning impersonally through a network of, of relations. And And so this thing which is which is just you is never just you. It's, it's an expression of, of something which gives it and therefore you signification.
0: Uh, we're starting to run down on time. I wanted to touch on this last chapter that you have in the book, and you write, happiness is not an emotion. Mm. You know, how should we think about happiness, Will?
1: Well, it, it, look, I, it, it won't necessarily just be my view. I will speak through the Stoics. And happiness for the Stoics will be this idea of living rationally. And so it's a matter of well-being then they the the greek the the phrase that they use is translated poorly if we just use it as if we just refer to it as happiness but that's probably the closest we can get along with well-being and it is this sense of recognizing oneself as part of something that's bigger than oneself and that was their conception of well-being uh it's, it's interesting because one of my previous lives in in academia was in uh, sociological theory as well. And one of the early sociological, uh, French sociological uh, thinkers, Émile Durkheim, writes a book on suicide. And he at one equates greater suicide rates with uh, one's greater exposure to more social issues uh, social disturbances so to speak so if you uh, get married and then get divorced if you get employed and then you lose your job and all of these exposures the way you rub up against society can make you more likely to to suicide but then he also says that the antidote to suicide and this is a statistical analysis is to be part of or feel embedded within a corporation which is a a bit of a twist in terms of the book but what he's trying to say is that there is this uh, way in which if you feel like you are part of this greater collective, then you're less likely in his view to feel alienated enough that you would um, that you would suicide And so I think for the Stoics it's their sense of well-being is deeply connected to how we identify ourselves and if we think that everything about ourselves is attributable to us alone to each of us alone then we're far more likely to feel out of control which is one of the one of the phrases they would use Uh, and that's not surprising really uh, the idea that if you were feeling like everything around you was was something that you had to somehow bring under control you know or bring your or or dominate or take advantage of or or whatever it might be then that seems like a recipe for uh, mental health issues so yeah so that would probably be the way in which this, the stoics would define happiness and well-being and it's definitely the way that i characterize it in the in that final chapter of the book is this idea that whilst we might feel happiness individually we might experience individual prosperity and well-being what they mean by that is a prosperity and well-being that is shared with literally other people, but also, uh, and even more abstractly perhaps, with the world itself. And are we living in a way that is consistent with uh, other humans and with the world?
0: I love it. I find it just to be such a, even as you're describing it, such a, just a beautiful idea. It's, yeah. Yeah. I really have deep appreciation for it. And and maybe it connects with this final question. And sometimes uh, I feel a little bad hitting this final wrap-up question of what is wisdom in daily life? Because we've probably been talking about it for the whole conversation. But I'm curious if there's anything that comes up, you know, succinctly that maybe we haven't said around, you know, what is uh, wisdom? It, it's obviously a huge question, uh, and and it should be a huge question because I don't
1: think it's responsible to any node or any feature, a component, parameter, part of part of of, of daily life. Uh, my answer for wisdom, my definition of wisdom, would be the capacity to see everything about oneself in a way that isn't reducible to oneself. Uh, I, and that would be consistent with a lot of what we've spoken about. Uh, to be wise is not to to relinquish the sense of self, but rather to recognize that the things about myself, about which I'm proud, are in some way reflections of things that have influenced me, things that I've adopted. And likewise, things about myself about which I'm shame, ashamed are likewise reflections of, to some degree, interconnected with things that are beyond myself. And I think if I live that way, then I feel more
0: wise. And that would be my definition accordingly. Oh, beautiful. Well this has been great. Again, I really enjoyed your book. It's beyond the individual stoic philosophy on community and connection. Again, I highly recommend it to the to the listeners. Is there anything we didn't touch on that maybe we should have and also anywhere that you might point listeners that are interested in in learning more i think if you're interested in themes
1: regarding your own mental health themes regarding your relationship with the people and with the world around you then this kind of at this kind of version of stoicism commentary on stoicism will speak to you and in that regard, it is, as we have mentioned, it's meant to complement existing works on Stoicism. It's meant to uh, show the reasons why you are therefore instructed not to be too invested in things which are beyond your control. This will explain some of the reasons why that is that argument is perpetuated and the reasons are that you're, you're a part of a system that you can't control, according
0: to the Stoics all right well beautiful professor will johncock thank you so much for coming on in search of wisdom thank you josh thank you for subscribing and listening to another episode of the in search of wisdom podcast i hope you found something useful for daily life in this episode if so i urge you to put what you heard into practice until next time be wise and be well